All right, everybody, welcome back to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. And, you know, this season that we're in right now, the uncertainty, the um, ambiguity, I think many of us are, are feeling in life as we just travel. Here's what it, here's what I'm seeing is, right? Yeah, there's like three phases that we are constantly in and out of. Either we are coming out of a storm, we are heading back in toward a storm, or we are right in the middle of that storm. And uh, I was introduced uh, recently to Dr. Allen, like a doctor, like a welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you here, too, because this is an entire podcast about, hey, how do we put in context some of the things that we've all experienced and lived through over the last 18 months? Man, it, it's been hard. And I think sometimes it's really healthy. It's really good to hit pause and look back, because I know many of us uh, were just focused on taking that next small step forward, managing things, making the decisions to keep our businesses running, our families running. And Alan, you have been through some incredible highs and lows in your life. And uh, let, let me share your introduction, because I think this is going to really help people understand, like, okay, here's what we're going to be talking about today. So so first of all, uh, Alan is one of the leading cosmetic dermatologists in the world. And no, folks, as you're listening, that's not how we met. But we probably need to meet in person, don't we, doctor? I got a face for radio. I got a I face for great. podcasting. <laughs> so you know what? Maybe we can, maybe you can tune me up for TV. But Dr. Leica was is a pioneer in cosmetic surgery. He's helped develop a number of new technologies. He's spoken around the world on this. But in 2003, Alan, you were diagnosed with ALS and you were given six months to live. Now imagine, and I know that everybody listening, because I hear your stories and you reach out to me, there's a number of you right now that have had just as devastating kind of news recently over the last 18 months. Or I know that you have a friend or a family member, a colleague that has. So, you know, this episode is for you because, uh, man, it's all about finding some hope in this and finding a way forward. Because after you fought this diagnosis, you're here today because that is not possible. Exactly. That is not possible medically. You had courage, you had determination, and you just felt like you were given this golden ticket. And I felt like it too. I, I call it my second chance. God saved me at my accident. And uh, here's the great thing is, Every single one of us, it's like Willy Wonka, right? We all get the chocolate bar with the golden ticket if you know where to look. And um, you wrote a book called The Secrets of Living a Fantastic Life. You wrote that with Harriet Tinka. You speak all around the world. So, you know, welcome to the show. And we're going to dig into this. And what I'd like you to do, Alan, is maybe just start at the beginning and tell right. us. I think that's a very good place to your start. Your story and journey, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to take you back to 2003 with me. I could remember if it just like it was yesterday. I was walking with my wife and my youngest daughter in Disneyland, the happiest place on earth of all places. And my wife turned to me and out of concern, she said, what's wrong with you, hon? I said, what do you mean? She said, what's wrong with you? I said, dear, it's a beautiful day. It's perfect out here. I don't think there's anything wrong with me. She said, listen to your foot. I said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever said, dear. What do you mean, listen to your foot? And she said, well, listen to it. 
and my right foot had suddenly and mysteriously developed a right foot drop. It was slapping on the pavement with each step I was taking. My wife uh, said, did you have a stroke? I said, Gear, you're a doctor. I'm a doctor. That's not how strokes present. If I had a stroke, I'd be lying on the pavement now, muttering something unintelligible, and I'd have a stroke. She said, well, something is wrong. You know, when we get back, you better get this checked out. John, when your significant other says, you better get this checked out, what do you do? Get it checked out. You get it checked out. There's no question in your mind, you get it checked out. So I got back to Canada and I saw hundreds of doctors. I had CAT scans. I had brain scans. I had MRIs. I had scan scans. And you know what they showed at the end of the day? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. That was the problem. And you know when you had this mysterious phantom foot drop. Yes. You guys are both doctors and you're thinking, okay, this is something really minor or something really bad. Was it is that kind of where you were going? Exactly. And that's usually the two extremes doctors go through. It's either minor and you could ignore it, or it's something really bad. So you know when a doctor can't find something wrong, he orders more tests. He orders more tests. He orders more tests and more tests. I had a billion dollar workup back then. And at the end of it, still, there was nothing wrong. You know, doctors were befuddled. They had, uh, thought I had a brain tumor or they thought I had a slip disc or something to account for it. But there was nothing on any of the tests. So they got smart and they said, we're going to send you to a world leading neurologist. You know, a neurologist is the brain guy. He's supposed to have all the answers to all the pieces. He's the guy that could pinpoint this and really say what's wrong. So I walked in and I said, hi. He said, hi back. You better be sitting down when I tell you this. I said, why? I've got a dropped right foot. He said, no, you don't. You have ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Get your affairs in order. In six months, you're going to be dead. Was that his bedside manner? That's what he said. That was was his opening self. You know, if you've ever seen Dr. House on TV, this guy had as much bedside manner as he did. And he just couldn't be harassed or anything. He just knew all the answers. So I asked him, is there a way to prove this diagnosis? He said, shout back, of course, on autopsy. Oh, so yes, bedside manner. Bedside manner. (laughs) Inside matter. So I shot back. I'm not going to die to prove you wrong. But you know, when you go through something like this, you go through the phases that Elizabeth Kubler Ross wrote in her book on death and dying. Elizabeth mm-hmm. Ross delineated five phases. The first phase is anger. 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 You can bite the head off nails, John. You are angry every day. You're mad. You're just pissed off. You know, I used to think anger was a terrible thing, but it actually, it motivates a person to do something. So it's not the worst thing in the world. Anger is something you go through. It's something you eventually get through. The second phase is bargaining. Oh God, please don't let this happen. I will do anything if you don't let this happen. You know, the bargaining phase, John, I think all of us have been through it. Oh, yes. Many times. Yes. Well, you know, they say there's, you know, there's no atheist in a foxhole. That's right. Right. 
but think about this. Like when I was recovering from my accident, I'm like, Lord, just, you said you were going to heal me, but if you heal me, I'll do this. If you heal me faster, I'll do that. If your moment, Hey, you're going to die in six months. My moment like that was really hard for me to take as somebody who's been very productive as a business person. My uh, physiologist looked at me and goes, Hey, just to set expectations, you've recovery because of how severe your brain injury is. He looked at my wife and said, just so you know, John probably won't even ever be able to be a greeter at Walmart. Yeah. So yeah. anger, bargaining, and then, I, then I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the guy that beats this. Well, then comes the phase of denial, John. Denial. It's not the river in Egypt. We're talking about denial. There's nothing wrong. I can do anything. I really can overcome things and jump over a Tom building in a single bound. Denial. Have you been there? Oh, yeah. You know what they talked to me about, and I hated the term, was, John, we're going to have to find your new normal. Your new normal is this. Your new normal is that. I'm like, you know what? Forget that. I do not have a new normal. My new normal is the same as my old normal. And it took me a long time to come to terms that, they were right, to be honest with you. Exactly. And the last phase, or the, there's two more phases that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross talks about. One is depression. Depression, where every day is a black day. You know, you can't eat, you can't sleep. Everything is black and gloomy. Everything is miserable. John, if you've gone through the phases you've gone through, you went through depression, didn't you? I sure did. I, I was actually just to be candid and I, and I share this with my audience. I was on antidepressants. I uh, saw therapists, counselors, like I needed help because not only was I depressed, but I also with the brain injury that I had, it induces the chemistry that creates severe depression. So mine was kind of doubled down on even. Yeah. I mean, it was hard. It was, I had thoughts during that period of time I've never had before and they were hard to handle. Yeah. Did you come close to suicide? I definitely did. I planned the whole thing out. I thought like, how am I going to do this? So my wife keeps the uh, life insurance. And the only thing that always stopped me was I'd been given this second chance. And one of the most exciting things to me about this second chance I've been given is to be the father that I'd always wanted to be. And I knew that if I made that choice when I was at my worst that I knew that that would hurt my kids. And that is what not only kept me from not doing it, but had me reach out and say, I need some help. Well, and that's brilliant, John. And I'm very glad you did because really there's people listening to this podcast that right now are going through the phases of anger, bargaining, mm -hmm. depression. They're going through denial. They're going through all these phases because of what COVID has done to them. They or their loved ones are going through it. And you know, it's a very, very difficult thing to go through. The last phase is the phase of acceptance. And the phase of acceptance is where you accept your diagnosis. Now, John, you accepted your diagnosis that you were brain injured. I accepted my diagnosis that I had a disability. There's a whole different thing than that, than accepting what doctors have told you and said, this is what you're going to end up to be. It's a whole different thing to do that and work your own path and find your own path and find a different way in a different medium.
And, you know, when I went through this, I went to my wife and I said, dear, I don't know what I have. She said, you know, that's two of us, she said, but you're smart. You can figure it out. Well, thank you for the vote of confidence, dear. I've just mm -hmm. gone through hundreds of doctors. They've done every test known to man. And you tell me I can figure this out. Well, thank you. <laughs> but you know, back in 2003, something brand new was invented, John, and you might have heard of it. It's called the internet. You ever hear of that beast? Yeah, well, I'm trying to get a little bit better at the whole interwebby thing, but I'm getting there. Well, you know, it's an amazing thing. And it truly is one of those amazing places. But the problem with the internet like this, it's like the world's best library, but it's a library that's filled with the best resources, the best books, the best videos, the best, but it's also filled with garbage cans. And physically, you can't tell the garbage cans from the best resources. So it's a quagmire. It is really a difficult thing for most people to navigate. It really is the charlatans have taken it over, the people that have taken over the messages on Twitter, the people have taken over things to sell you. And it really is a difficult place to navigate. But back in 2003, it was very primitive. The only way you could get on was with on dial-on connections. We didn't have power in our computers. We didn't have a lot of memory. So you had to use a dial-on connection to connect with another computer someplace else. And your phone would be attached to a terminal and it would go ria, ria, ria for about 15 minutes before it connected. And when you connected, you only could attach and talk to somebody by DOS. It was a primitive language because we didn't have any, any memory in our computers. So it was very, very difficult. But thank goodness I had friends that were nerds. They guided me. And as a result of them, I found a doctor in Colorado Springs by the name of Dr. David Martz. Now, David had a story very similar to mine, except he got worse much more rapidly. And he was on his deathbed within weeks of getting his diagnosis. Well, he was so well known that doctors from around the world were coming to say goodbye to David. And a doctor came up from Texas and looked at David and said, David, there's something wrong with this picture. I don't think you have ALS. I don't think you have Lou Gehrig's disease. David whispered, because that's all he could do at that time, what do I have? The doctor said, I think you have chronic Lyme's disease. It's the bite of a tick. And mm. you have a neurological disease that's mimicking ALS. You can't tell the difference by looking at it. Well, David said, well, what do I do? He said, well, you really don't have to do anything. I'm going to search you on some treatments. And if it works, you're going to get miraculously better. And, you know, David was like Lazarus arising from the dead. Within two weeks, he was back to his normal. He could dance, he could talk, he could do anything else. So he started a clinic called the Rocky Mountain Chronic Disease Clinic that he treated over 2,000 people with this mysterious disease. He was located in Colorado Springs, Colorado. So I knew I had to get in touch with David. So I phoned every hospital in Colorado Springs. You know, a doctor can get in touch with any other doctor if he tries. All he has to do is make a couple of phone calls. And I met up with David at the Methodist Hospital in Colorado Springs, Colorado. 
Mm-hmm. And we talked for hours. And David said, can you come down and see me? And I said, when? He said, what about right now? I said, David, I can't. It's our Thanksgiving up here in Canada. My wife's invited over 50 people over. David said, aren't there any planes in Canada? (laughs) He wasn't going to let me get off that easily. So I went to my wife and I said, dear wife, I'm not going to be here for Thanksgiving. She said, why? You always seem to be away. You're always teaching people. You're always at conferences. I said, I'm not going to a conference this time. I'm going to go to Colorado Springs, Colorado. She said, what's there? I said, there's a doctor that has something that might be able to help me. She said, thank God. Let me pack your bag for you. I will drive you to the airport. So don't worry about those 50 people. I'll take care of them. And, you know, I got on a plane from Edmonton to Denver. You know, that's a great flight, John. It's a two and a half hour flight. It's wonderful. It's an amazing flight. Then I got on a plane from Denver to Colorado Springs. You ever been on that flight? I never have, but I live between Denver and Colorado Springs and I fly in the area and I'm guessing it was a little bit turbulent. Uh, Yeah, that's the nice way of saying things. You know, people say it's just a little turbulence. Don't worry about it. But I mean, when you're on a puddle jumper like that, you're like a cork in a hurricane. That plane will climb 100 feet and then it'll drop 100 feet without warning. It'll drive another 100 feet and it'll drop 200 feet without warning. Have you ever been at the drop of doom at Disneyland? Oh, yeah. Well, this is what it is over and over and over again. This is a 15-minute flight, but it's a flight from hell. And if you get off that flight, you emerge. You crawl off the plane like I did. And I crawled off. And there was David on the tarmac to meet me. I couldn't believe it. But this was 2003. This was before all the high ticket regulations came in and high security precautions came in. David was meeting a well-known guest from Canada. He was a well-known doctor in his community. There was a, He wasn't a terrorist. I wasn't a terrorist. So he met me. I got off the plane and there was David. He said, you don't look so good. I said, David, I'm not feeling so good. He said, well, that's a metaphor of just you went through. You know, you went through hell. And we talked and we talked for hours. And David said some miraculous words. He said, I think history is repeating itself. And it was. He started me on treatment. And that's why I'm here today, still living and breathing. I still have a dropped right foot. I have a right arm that doesn't work very well. It's not perfect. But, you know, God has given me a second golden ticket. He's allowed me to do things. When you go through things like you and I have done, John, you become one of two things. You become hard. You become miserable. You become an an ass. Or you look at this as something that God has given you as a gift. And you start to give back. And I started to give back. The first thing I looked around and said, what can I do to make society better? So I sponsored an event called Women of Distinction for the YWCA. This was an event in Edmonton that helped to honor women in our society. And you know, John, women still are not honored the way that they should be. And um, so I sponsored this event and a a beautiful, talented woman by the name of Harriet Tinka applied for one of the 
the awards. It was for the Turning Points Award. Mm. And the Turning Point Award was given to a person that made a turn in their life. Now, Harriet's story was similar to mine, but very different. Harriet was a world-class model. She'd walked the runways of New York. She was at the top of her game. She got tired of it. She decided to take up her second passion, which was to become an accountant. So she went to the University of Calgary in Calgary, Alberta, where she met a very evil person, a person that was narcissistic, a person that was demanding. And that person ended up kidnapping her, stabbing her, and leaving her for dead. Now, Harriet was put in the hospital. She doesn't know how she got there to this day, but she met a wonderful young girl by the name of Amber. Amber was an amazing little girl that was wheeling down the hospital in a wheelchair, and she asked Harriet what her story was, and Harriet told her, and Amber said, well, you know, you should use your story to do good for people. Amber was amazing. At the age of 10, she was in a massive car accident where she lost use of her legs and she lost both of her parents, but she was happy. She was well-balanced. She knew that she had a great life and she knew that she could give back. So she told Harriet to do that. So at the awards, Harriet said to me, Dr. Leica, can I buy you lunch? And she did. And she said, at that line, she said, let's write a book on her stories. And that's why we wrote The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. And it's a great little book. And it's amazing because it became a bestseller in the pandemic of 2020. Oh, wow. A bestseller in the pandemic of 2020. Wow, I'm so honored and so thrilled. But you know, this is where my journey has begun. I've now stepped away from being a cosmetic doctor. I lecture full-time, I help people full-time, and I'm really in the mode of making it a better life. You know, John, it's not what happens to you, it's what you do with what happens. And I'd like everybody on this telecast today to realize that and realize that that's the game we're in. It's not what happens to you, it's what you do with what happens. Well, let me ask you this too, with both you and um, Harriet and uh, oh my gosh, she has a a thousand watt smile. You would never know that she's been through that kind of adversity. You know, those folks that are listening right now that are in the middle of it, right? They're in one of those things you talked about, anger, bargaining, denial, depression, because in hindsight, like looking back on my accident today, now that I'm 10 years removed, I can see God's faithfulness through the whole thing. But when you're in the middle of it, that is when it's hard to kind of put some things into context. So what would you share with some of those folks that are like right now in the middle of like before you knew that there was a treatment plan, like Lou Gehrig's disease, if I understand it right, it is this nasty degenerative neurological disease. So not only do you die quickly, but it's not fun getting there. And that was what was in front of you. You die an inhuman death. You die a terrible death. And it's not a very, very beautiful thing. But you know, God's plan is something that you and I will never understand. We will Mm -hmm. never understand it. And you know, the beautiful thing about trials and tribulations are they allow us to reach a new being. They allow us to, you know, you will never know the beauty 
of the heights of a mountain unless you're in the depths of despair. You will never understand how wonderful things are. So if people are in those despair phases right now, and those phases that you're going through, remember these are phases. They end, that there is another side to them. And with God's love, with God's gifts, you're going to get through them. You know, as a Christian, I firmly believe God doesn't give us anything more than we can handle. And I think that's the important thing, that this is the beautiful thing that you are given, is that you can handle it all. But rely on God, rely on his power, rely on his benevolence, rely on the things to take you to that next level. Yeah, I'll never forget, you know, the first thing that God said to me in my accident, uh, doctor, was because I was in his presence. He took away the pain that I was in. But the first thing he said was all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. And I got to tell you that, that, you know, what that did for me was give me this little ember, this little flicker of hope on my darkest days that I was able to hold on to, to say, you know what, maybe tomorrow could be better than today. Maybe next, and then guess what? Tomorrow wasn't better, but maybe next week could be better. Maybe next month could be better. And next year, you know what? I could think about that far out thinking, you know what? It's got to get gooder. And I held on to that, and that helped me to move forward from a place of, I guess, hope versus a place of despair or letting what happened define me. Because I got to tell you, when I was in the hospital for 20 months with my brain injury, I saw people that were not injured as bad as me spiral down into a place that really scared me. And I did not want to go there. I didn't know how sometimes not to go there. And that's where I just had to lean on my friends, my family, in prayer. But if I could just give one message to everybody who's going through things that like right now in the present almost feel like you're right at that edge of what I can't handle, that there is hope that tomorrow can be better. As example, by, by you and Harriet and myself and so many other people that have gone through some really challenging times. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, exactly. And, you know, it's difficult when you're going through those phases or seeing somebody go through them. But, you know, there is hope around the corner. It it really is there. You know, there's a story of a man who was talking to God and said, Dog, God, I'm angry with you. You did not help me in my time of despair. He said, how do you know that? He said, well, I was walking on the beach and I saw two legs, uh, four legs walking together. And all of a sudden I saw two legs, only two footprints. And during those two footprints, I realized you had abandoned me. And God said, no, I think you interpreted it wrong. That's when I was carrying you. And so the important thing is that you have to realize that the way you perceive things are not necessarily the right thing, that your perceptions are not necessarily the way it is and the way it's going to be. And that with time, with patience, with hope, things get better. And I think that's the way it always is meant to be. These are our trying times. Uh, We're still in trying times. I think COVID has given the world a lot of anger. It's given us bargaining. It's given us depression. 
I think COVID has given us all these phases on a global basis. And we're mm -hmm. still going through those phases. I think we're going through those and it's going to take a long time to get over them. With time, we will begin through this. We will get through this next phase, but it's not been a pleasant time. I, I think everybody has somebody that they know that has died or been hurt badly by COVID. I know you, John, have been hurt badly by COVID as well. And that is something that a lot of people have gone through. Yeah, and you inherit when in the book, which is The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, folks. But you guys talk about turning points. And I think that's a really important point to, I'd love for you to share how to recognize them and what those can do for you. Could you share a little bit about turning points? Well, a turning point is exactly what it is defined as. It's that point where you turn 180 degrees from one point to the next. It is the zenith. It is the time when you have to change because there's nothing else you can do. It's the point where you basically do this. Now, you can choose to have a turning point or a turning point can be thrust on you. A turning point is a magical place that basically changes everything around, changes things in such a way that the world becomes a better place. And I think that's the thing people need to grasp on. These turning points are all about us. Now, how do you get to a turning point? Well, sometimes it's thrust. Yeah, point. great there's question. No, <laughs> there's no way about it. But you can choose to change things in your life. You can literally turn 180 degrees and look at things from the other perspective. You can look at things in a different way. So turning points are all around us. The question is when you grasp on them and when you get to them. Turning points are really amazing places there. They're another one of God gifts. I think at turning points too, like some of those times when I was just stuck right? Hearing stories of other people, actually reading books of other people that have gone through this, having conversations, helped me actually bring in other perspectives that were different than mine. They were helpful. Have you found other ways where people have maybe connected to some of those things that allowed them to start that turn? Yes, definitely. And, and you know, one of the things you can do is to read a good book. And I would love to give all your guests today a digital copy of my book. Why? Because I want people to experience those things. See, each little story, each chapter in my book is based on something I call a golden pearl. A golden pearl is something that is amazing in nature. Do you know what causes a pearl to form, John? Yeah, it's an irritation, like a piece of sand gets into the oyster. It's like this irritation. So it puts a little yeah, it's trauma. coat on it's it. It's basically it's trauma to the oyster. And the yeah. oyster decides not to be destroyed by it. It walls it off with this beautiful material called luster. Now, golden pearls actually exist in nature. They only exist in the South Pacific. And they're so rare and so beautiful that a single solitary perfect golden pearl costs upwards of $10,000. Now, we have these golden pearls inside of ourselves. We have these golden pearls that people should just look inside and find them. And my book delineates 13 golden pearls, 13 little things, 13 touchstones for people to get there. So you can get a free copy by going to the number 13gpnow.ca, 13gpnow.ca, and you can get a free digital copy. 
Why? Because I want everybody to have a beautiful life and I want everybody to spread the word on it. 13gpnow.ca. Thank you. That was very generous of you. We're going to be putting the link also to that in the show notes so everybody can get that and download that because you know what, doctor, we need some pearls. We need some hope. I got to tell you, you know, we need to be able to pray with other people that understand where we're at, who've been through the things that we're going through right now. What a powerful message. Now, you know, as we wrap up, I want to ask you a question because one of the things that I think has been a hallmark, it's probably, it just comes across naturally in our pre-conversation and now, and I think it is, I'm guessing it's one of your golden pearls, gratitude, humility, optimism, and sometimes gratitude in the face of what feels insurmountable. Where does that come from for you? You know, I think once you go through something like you and I have, John, you realize how lucky and how fortunate you are. Mm -hmm. You really realize that it's something that you should be thankful for. You've been given a second chance. You've been given a golden ticket. So now's your chance to give back. Now's your time to do that. And I'm going to challenge everybody in your audience today, just right today, is do something for somebody else that they wouldn't regularly do. I'm going to challenge your audience to do something. Maybe it's something small, like taking a a dozen of cookies over to your neighbor. Maybe it's going and helping your neighbor with a task that they've Maybe it's just saying hi over the fence, somebody you haven't talked to for ages. You know, something, do something for your neighbor today. Do something that's going to make a small step. Take a baby step to make the world a better place. And that's how you find that the world is going to be a better place. That's how the world is going to be a more loving place. You know, love is one of those amazing things that you get more by just giving ways amazing thing. So why not do that? You know what? This whole world, all the negativity, the culture that we live in right now, when everybody here listening, just what Dr. Leica just said, and we just start making that a habit, we could turn this around. And I just want to share with you guys the news. I was actually just doing this for another presentation, Dr. Leica. The mainstream media, I don't care whether you're a CNN or Fox guy, 80% of their coverage of COVID, regardless of what's actually going on, is negative. Do you know that the local news is almost 50-50? And the international news is actually about 55% positive, 45% negative. And that negativity, when we let it in, it corrodes that ability, that muscle to be grateful, to be optimistic, to be hopeful. Folks, in this world that we live in right now, do a really simple thing also and just turn off the negativity in your world. Focus on doing something beautiful and serving other people, even if it's really small, because guess what? Amazing things start with small beginnings. And doctor, as we kind of wrap up this conversation, land the plane, so to speak, what just final thoughts would you love to leave with everybody? I'd love everybody to realize the simple message that I keep saying, it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens. Remember that. 
The first step is action. The first step you must do is overcome the things that are going in a negative fashion. So doing something positive is the most important thing that you can do. And if you really have a goal, if you want to do something, every day you should do five things to make that goal come true. Just five little things. If you do that every day, I think every goal that you're going to have is going to come true. It may not come the way you think it is, Mm. but maybe steps are what make it happen. That is beautiful. Thank you so much, uh, doctor. Thank you for writing this book and for being part of this interview. And everybody, as you, you know what, if you're out there and you take that small step, post on our Facebook page on Eternal Leadership, share with us what you did. I'd love to hear it. What I know is when you do those little things, share what it meant to that person, whether it's a barista at Starbucks, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's you call an old friend and just say, how you doing? You're on my heart. Is there, you know, what's going on? I did that recently. And somebody's like, oh my word, I'm so glad you called. Like, I didn't even know who to turn to. And we had an amazing conversation that really needed to happen about something going on in her life. So what a powerful message. Thank you again, Dr. Leica. It's been a joy and you are welcome to come back here anytime you want. Thank you, John. It was a pleasure. Thank you for you for getting me on your show. And I'd love to turn the favor to you. I have my own podcast called How to Live a Fantastic Life, and I'd love to get you on it. I would love to come on it, and uh, our whole community would love to hear it. And folks, well, what a great connection. You want to hear some more stories? Uh, jump on How to Live a Fantastic Life podcast, and I will take you up on that. That sounds like a blast. Thank you, John. Have a fantastic day. All right, you too. 